Luke chapter 4, beginning with verse 21. He began to explain to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled just as you heard it. Everyone was raving about Jesus. So impressed were they by the gracious words flowing from his lips. They said, this is Joseph's son, isn't it? Then Jesus said to them, undoubtedly you will quote this saying to me, doctor, heal yourself. Do here in your hometown what we've heard you did in Capernaum. He said to them, I assure you that no prophet is welcome in the prophet's hometown. And I can assure you that there are many widows in Israel during the Elijah's time when it didn't rain for three and a half years and there was a great food shortage in the land. Yet Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to the widow in the city of Zarephath in the region of Sidon. There were also many persons with skin diseases in Israel during the time of the prophet Elisha, but none of them were cleansed. Instead, Naaman, the Syrian, was cleansed. When they heard this, everyone in the synagogue was filled with anger, and they rose up and they ran him out of town. They led him to the crest of the hill on which their town had been built so that they could throw him off the cliff. But he passed through the crowd and went on his way. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I am. Um, Grandma loved, I, okay, follow-up question, uh, but you can't answer this till after church. Um, Grandma, did you love the hymns more or your grandson's sermon more? That's, that's not fair. You don't know my grandma. She'd be very angry that you said that. Um, I, I love this text. I, every, every three years, the lectionary gives us this text from the Gospel of Luke, and so I tell this story every three years, and uh, yeah, I'm going to say it again. Uh, this is like my ninth year, so this will be my third time here uh, telling the story, so bro, this is probably your first time hearing the story. Um, <laughs> The story goes like this. I, I uh, actually, you might have heard this because you were around back then uh, when my dad was pastor. You liked, you liked coming. So, uh, remember when you came to Idaho for like a Wesley conference with him? Okay, so it was around that time, about 2011. We were in negotiations, uh, or you were in negotiations, uh, to find out who would be the next pastor. Uh, and and I, I think I told this Wednesday when we interviewed Josh, I was the fourth choice. <laughs> Didn't you? Yeah, fourth time's a charm. Yeah, I was the fourth choice. Am I allowed to say who they were? Is that not allowed? Can I say who they were? I don't know the order. I just know the three. One was Clarence. One was Laura, Pastor Laura. And one was Krista Klosterman, right? Yeah, and they all, they all said no. And so you're like, I, yeah, she's, she's, she's fantastic. She would have been way better than me. <laughs> um, she's awesome. She's in Tennessee now, pastoring. Uh, so fourth time's a charm. Hopefully you don't, you're not sitting there thinking fifth time might be a charm. Uh, but I was, okay, so we were over there for the Wesley conference and, and the conversation had come that maybe it would be an option for me to come back. And, 
Um, at that point, Kristen and I had been dating long distance for seven years, and, and so I'm not sure if it was the call of the Holy Spirit or the reality that if Kristen and I are going to make a decision, we need to be in the same city. Uh, but I was intrigued about the possibility of coming back, and so uh, we arranged a meeting uh, during the Wesley Conference where I was going to meet with the district superintendent, Jerry Kester, in the NNU cafeteria, and so we went and hid in a corner. Now, um, because I uh, either was deeply anxious or unethical or both, I just not at that point yet tell my pastor that I was doing this. I was a youth pastor at that time. And so we're at this Wesley conference when I'm hiding over in the corner with Pastor Jerry and we're talking about the possibility of just getting to know each other and over comes my senior pastor walking to us. It was so awkward. In the, like the first words out of his mouth were, Jerry, you're not allowed to take him. Ha, 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 ha. And I laughed. I'm like, oh, you're silly, Pastor Ben, secretly. Oh, dang. Oh, yeah, it was bad. And he goes away, and we finish the conversation, and, and eventually I then fly out in May to interview with the church board, and, and the rest is history. So exciting, right? But I remember the first time, or I remember the time I was in, I, I, I was in the office, and I was going to tell my, my pastor that I was leaving. And uh, he should have known something was up, because I actually got to the church before him that day, which I, I was there two years. I don't think it ever happened that way. And I got to the church before him, and I was an anxious wreck, and I'm just like, my heart is racing. I don't want to disappoint people. I'm a people pleaser. And I hear the door open. I hear him coming to the youth room. I feel like I'm going to throw up. He comes. He wants to shoot the breeze and say hello. And I stumble over my words, basically stumbling about the same level I did when I asked Kristen out the first time. And I, I tell him, I'm, I'm going I'm, to, I'm, I'm, you know, like that, I'm going to be the lead pastor in West Seattle, the church I grew up in. And then I finally got it out, and we talked a little bit, why I always remember that conversation. I love the dude. Great. Good, good, good dude. Um, he quotes this verse. Sean, you realize a prophet is without honor in their hometown. The implication being many of you knew me as a teenager, as a middle schooler. You can't go past, pastor them. <laughs> and he was so right. Uh, no. <laughs> I can't help but read this text and think about this text uh, without thinking about that. Nine years later, can you think about that? Oh, my goodness. Um, this morning, I want to take an alternative route, though, with you, if you will. And, and this, this alternative route, bro, have you ever watched The Chosen? You should. Are you a TV show watcher? You should watch The Chosen. I think you'd like it. It's the show about Jesus. I don't know if you ever heard it. I don't know if you've heard of Jesus. Um, the Chosen helped me kind of as I interpret this text. Uh, if you watch season two of The Chosen, the most controversy they got the whole season was the little 10-second scene they put in the middle of the year of Jesus doing sermon prep. It blew up, apparently. That people thought, this is the Son of God. He doesn't need to do sermon prep. He can just get up and wing it, kind of like Lorenzo in an offertory with the piano. But the world did not like the idea that the Son of God would have to actually put in the prep work for the sermon he was, he was going to give. And so this week, as I knew this text was coming, I started thinking about the reality, because I'm totally bought in. i totally in there. I bet Jesus did some good sermon prep. I, be, I believe he probably toiled over the talks he gave and, and the ways in which he could try and connect with his community. And so, so I imagine Jesus uh, leading up to this moment where he's coming to his hometown church, the people who knew him growing up, the people who knew him as a middle schooler, the people who knew him when he had acne. He wanted to give a good talk. 
And not just a good talk for a good talk's sake, but he is in the beginning stages of this ministry, this new reality of the kingdom of God. There had to be this deep desire for him that these people who I know, who I love, who I've grown up with, they can be a part of this movement. And so I just imagine that he poured his blood, sweat, and tears coming into this this, uh, synagogue moment where he's going to lead uh, the, the liturgy of the day, the sermon of the day, that he poured his heart and soul into this moment. I imagine that that this, these, he, by the way, if you read the text and you know anything about it, Jesus essentially, he says, today this has been fulfilled. So far, so good. But, but it's his next word that really begin to hack them off. He begins to pull two sermon illustrations out of the Old Testament text. And the sermon illustrations are essentially this, this um, conceptually, that these two prophets, Elijah and Elisha, two big-time prophets in the Old Testament narrative, and how God used these kind of grand prophetic people to bless the outsiders, the pagans, the Gentiles, instead of blessing the insiders. I think I've preached this text before in years past where I've preached that this is Jesus kind of probably being a little passive-aggressive, really trying to, to push the needle, to try and really hack them off to move things forward. I don't like to admit this. Kristen, please don't say amen from outside the sanctuary. I may have been wrong. It's not that funny. I may have been wrong. I'm actually convinced, I think Jesus is using these sermon illustrations with a good-hearted, deeply intended hope of helping to expand their worldview. To helping and hoping to expand their imagination that, that in many ways was centered on their own people, their own culture, their own kind of worldview, into a more expanded, more inclusive, more more wild, that's good grammar, a larger worldview that sees people who we formerly thought as outside now as in. And so he pulls these illustrations with the hope that spirit might be moving in this moment them to a more holistic view of the kingdom of God that they might lean into. We've read the story, though. How does the story go? It goes, and, and that is not what happens. Like us, they have their own biases. They have their own uh, ways in which the cultural narrative has hijacked the quote-unquote kingdom narrative. And they are unable to see just how gracious and good and loving and inclusive the divine is. And so the only imaginative move the congregation can respond with is to try and throw him off a cliff. Now I have to stop here and say, we actually don't know if it's a big cliff. There's a lot of commentators that say, that say it probably wasn't that big a cliff. If they had thrown him, Jesus would have done what Tanner does when he goes to the park and just probably rolled down. And if you know anything about kind of that area, it was probably more like a hill and not a cliff. There's some people who do think it's a cliff. Dad, do you have any thought on that? A cliff? You think it's a cliff? I, you know, I'm going to be turning 40, and so if anyone would be prompted by the Holy Spirit to donate to a pastoral trip to Israel to tour the Holy Land, I would be happy to report back to you uh, the nature of the cliff in this text, um, I'd even send you a postcard. I'll go for as long as you want to send me. The, um, here, here's where I want to land today, though. I know we've been taught to read that this is the Bible, in it, in, and I'm not trying to say it's not, but I know we have been taught to, to see the Bible first as the divine, first as the inspired word of God, first. 
I, and and, yeah, and I, please, this is not one of those sermons where I'm trying to deconstruct that. But I want to first look at this text through the lens of the human moment of this Jesus who is the Christ, who grew up with those people, and imagine the disappointment in that moment he must have been feeling. The the sense with which he had poured his blood, sweat, and tears into this talk, and now he's arrived in this moment, and it didn't go like he had hoped, and not only had they not liked the sermon and given it like a D-, minus, not only that, but they tried to essentially throw him out. Maybe worse, maybe kill him. Imagine how that hits. I remember when I got my first sermon critique a year or two in, well, Probably, probably the first Sunday. I just didn't hear it the first Sunday. Um, and every Sunday since then. Please don't say amen. Um, but I remember when I got the first like front, frontal critique to me, um, having come back. And I remember just the like, ooh, that doesn't feel very good. These are my people. They knew me as a middle schooler. And by the way, if you've given it to me, it's okay. I probably deserve it. I probably deserve it today. But, but I, you know, it, it still hits. We're human. We pour, we try our best, and it hits. And, and so I can only imagine that Jesus walks away from this moment with real pain that's been inflicted that he has to process. How many of you would say uh, you're glass half full people? Anybody? Raise your hand. How many glass half full people? Okay. How many glass half empty people? Thank you. Thank you for your honesty, Ken Senior. Thank you. This has been a really difficult, disappointing week. Can I tell you some of my disappointment? I've ranked my top five disappointments. And, well, let me rephrase that. I've ranked my top five disappointments that I find uh, I'm able to share with you during a sermon. I won't share the fight Kristen and I had that she was totally wrong about. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Here's my, top, here's my top five. And I don't have my notebook. Where's my notebook? What did she just say? Marilyn, if you'd care to show up in person, I would ha be happy to let you throw me off a cliff. Wow, people are people are getting bold online. Is that how it works? Like you're hiding behind the screen, your face isn't here, so you can just say anything. It doesn't matter if I'm going to go home and cry. Wow. Okay. This is, well, I'm going to add that to my disappointment list. Um, no. Uh, number five. Number five. And th please don't make fun of me. Okay. I'm going to explain. I, but honestly, disappointment number one. This is five on my list. This is the fifth worst thing that I can share. I made a bad fantasy baseball trade this week. No, but don't. Okay. No, hold on. Fantasy baseball, early on in my time here, was the hobby of choice when Kristen essentially said, the church is consuming you. You need to go get a hobby. So I started pouring myself into it. I started doing it. And then I got into these dynasty leagues that are year-round. And then I did a dumb thing. I got into an expert league. Like people who did a podcast for it, they allowed me in a league. And so I'm playing with people who are like nationally known in the industry. And the first year we ever played... <laughs> Jesse, are you making fun of me? I'm adding... 
I'm adding Jesse's mocking me to my list. This is not going well. Jesse, can I tell you that I'm personally starting a fantasy baseball podcast and my name is going to be Roto Pastor? Thank you. Do you like the coffee shop idea or that idea better? <laughs> about the same. Okay, we need to have coffee again to talk about it. Um, here's the thing. It was an expert league. The first year, I was dead last. And not just dead last, I was, I was make fun of him last place. And so for the last five years, I have been crunching this hobby to try and prove to the experts that I can hang. And here's the thing, again, this may not be Nazarene appropriate, but whatever, get over it. You pay a certain money to get in the league, and then the top three winners get the payout. So technically, first place is number one, but if you're in the top three of 15 teams, you are considered to be doing well. And I went from last place, first year, make fun of him, I even got trades vetoed where the commissioner essentially said, Sean, you agreed to a trade that should never have been allowed. I'm not letting you do that. The next step from that is we're kicking you out of the league. To last year, I made third place. And this year, I've been making moves with the idea that I got an older roster. I'm not going to be able to compete forever. So in the next year or two, I am going for it. And I'm going to try and get first place. And I agreed to a bad trade. It was a Sunday night. I wasn't thinking, didn't fully analyze it, and I just did it, and it sets me back. And I'm telling you, I know it's dumb. I know, please make fun of me. Don't laugh, Jeff, Jesse, that's not kind. Just kidding. You can laugh. It messed up my Monday. Oh, so, it was bad. Okay, number two. Number two. Number two. Number two. Um, a friend of mine got COVID this week. And I know, oh, it's too bad, and it is too bad, and if they listen to this, I really actually do feel bad. I checked up on them once, but here's what's really lame, and, and I'm kind of mad at them. They're within the circle of people we've seen, even with Omicron, and we, we even went away with them and some other couples for the weekend, and so coming off of that, we had planned a dinner that was supposed to be last night where we were all going to reconnect and shoot the breeze and hang out again, and so this friend getting COVID didn't just mess up their week. It messed up my week. We had to cancel the dinner. I was really disappointed. Number three, Parker got canceled from school. All the, there was too many teachers sick, essentially. And so because Parker gets to go to school for free, he was the first one to get cut. And so this week, I had to hang out at home with Parker the whole week. This little three-year-old who doesn't want to put on clothes. I just was stuck at home, and I'm telling you, I got nothing done. You should know I got nothing done based on how this sermon is going. And it was very discouraging. Number two, the Josh audio. That interview on Wednesday was so good. It was so encouraging. I walked away from Wednesday thinking, oh, man, this podcast thing is going to go so well. And I listened to it, and there's like this radio hum the whole time in the background. It was very disappointing. And then the, my first, the biggest disappointment is just for my grandma falling, breaking her femur, and um, yeah, when you're, yeah, yeah. Um, so anyway, I, I say all that to say, and, and some of those are, some of those truly are laughable. Some of those are really dumb. Like, Sean, if you're going to let a fantasy trade ruin a day, don't play. I, I get that. And there, by the way, there have been other disappointments, as I'm sure for many of you, you've had disappointments this week, that I've just been marinating in this text, and my heart keeps going back to this moment 
this moment where Jesus is rejected and the pain and the disappointment that comes with that. And, 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 and you know the disappointments that have come in your own life. Because I wasted so much time talking about fantasy baseball, I'll continue with the other texts without reading them. Is that okay with you? And frankly, they've all been read today, so, so we have heard them. The next text this week is from Jeremiah. It's Jeremiah's calling. I think my lovely wife, Kristen, whom is always right, and I'm always wrong whenever we have a disagreement, uh, she read the Jeremiah text for us today. And the text is essentially Jeremiah's call that he is going to go and he is going to be given the work of not just planting. He's going to plant. He's going to help um, build new things. But he's also the work of tearing things down. That he's going to participate in the society of his day in, in helping to rip up the things that definitively need ripped up. If we had more time, if I didn't waste time this morning, we would erase the whiteboard and we could make a big list of things that we would say in our society we should tear down, we should pull down. And then we could also make on the other side of the board a list of things we would like to see done in our world. Things, things about justice, things about reconciliation, things about being a more loving and hospitable culture. Jeremiah has this call where he is going to participate in that work. That's the lectionary text this week. But as I was listening to a podcast, because apparently when you have a three-year-old who doesn't want to get dressed and leave the house, that's all you can do is listen to podcasts. When I was listening to a podcast this week about Jeremiah and his ministry, I was reminded about Jeremiah chapter 20. Jeremiah chapter 20 is, is this really depressing chapter where Jeremiah has given himself to the work of the calling. He's given himself to it. And it hasn't gone well. He's essentially rejected. I, I believe he has just been beat up, in fact, like by the church of his day who did not like the work he's done. And chapter 20 becomes this very emotional subtext where Jeremiah is saying, I mean, there's essentially, he says, I curse the, the day I was born. It's this lament, even this cry of God, why? And I know, again, we've been taught to read the Bible as the, the word, the inspired word of God, and we should, and that's appropriate. This isn't one of those sermons. But, but before we do that, I want us to, to lean into that text with the very human moment of just this man who's given himself to the work and now has come to a place where he's been rejected, he's been abused, and now he's writing this reflection that essentially says, why was I even born? Imagine if I had, on a Sunday uh, written something like that and, and dumbingly left it on my desk for somebody like, let's say bro volunteered to come clean the building. And he comes and he's cleaned the building and he happens to see this letter where I was cursing the day of my birth and, and continuing to go on and marinate in these really depressing lines. The right thing bro would have done would be to call a therapist. Because Jeremiah has been called to do the work, but in the midst of doing the work, he has come to this place where, where in response to the work, he is now in a place in his mental health where he cannot, he seemingly, at least in this moment, cannot do the work anymore. Why was I even born? Have you ever been so depressed that you've asked yourself some of those questions? Have you ever had dreams or visions about how your life might have gone, things you could have given yourself to, and maybe you've even started to go down those paths, and it all blew up in your face, and the response was essentially, I know you wanted to do that work, I know you gave yourself to that work, but that work isn't really seen as a value 
and so it didn't land well. Have you ever felt those type of, that type of depression? This is the place Jeremiah finds himself in, and he laments and he cries out, and he is willing and honest enough in the moment to even curse the day he was born. If we went back and read the psalm, it's from Psalm 71. Pastor Sarah opened us up with our call to worship this morning. It's a tough one in terms of lament, but it is a lament psalm. It's a hopeful lament. But in the midst of the lament, the psalm is this cry for help for God to show up. And again, I know we have been taught to read it as this poetic, scriptural prose that we just take in, and we should, and that's good. But before we do that, I would encourage us to first take in the very human uh, angst that is written there. Why do we call for God to help? Why do we call for God to show up? We do so because we find that we're in a place where that is our only hope. Have you ever been in a place in your life where things have conspired to feel so terribly wrong that you have no move left to make on the board of chess called life, that your only response is to turn to God. To turn to God, maybe, maybe to turn to God even, even in moments where you're not even sure if there is a God. Have you ever been to a place like that? The final text this morning, this morning that Tabitha read was from 1 Corinthians 13. It's the love chapter, right? The love chapter. Tanner was wanting to read the love chapter yesterday. He had his first play date with a friend from school. Her name is Charlie. And they came over and they had, like, I'm pretty sure if I could offer Tanner to have a play date with Charlie or to go to Disneyland, he would have set a play date with Charlie. Like, I've never seen the kid this happy. Apparently, Charlie really likes um, Sonic the Hedgehog. And so uh, they were talking about the new Sonic Hedgehog movie that's coming out later this year. And we had this grand vision that we could all go see Sonic the Hedgehog in the movie and popcorn. And um, Tanner uh, likes movies, but he, his last experience going to the movies, he didn't like the previews because they were too loud. And so that was a bit scary for him. And so Tanner yesterday wasn't sure that he wanted to go to the movie theater to see Sonic the Hedgehog. And he was saying maybe he wouldn't. But Charlie said, no, Tanner, you have to go. If you don't go, it's going to break my heart. I looked at Kristen and I said, yep, that's what love will do. <laughs> but here's the thing. First, in 1 Corinthians, I don't know if you guys, if anyone read that in their own wedding ceremony. I know Kristen and I did. 1 Corinthians was not, it wasn't Paul's liturgy for a wedding. It's okay to read it there if you have. I, you know, I, I'll probably do weddings uh, again and probably read them in weddings again. But it wasn't Paul's wedding liturgy. 1 Corinthians 13 was written to a church that was driving Paul nuts. It was a church he had helped to plant. He'd gone on to plant other churches to do more work, and it was a church that he heard reports was having all sorts of issues. You think we've had some good fights over these nine years? You ain't got nothing on Corinth. They had fights over who was the best and the greatest. Was it Paul? Was it Apollos? Was it Peter? They had fights over, like, I mean, like, this would have been rated, if this was a show, if Corinth was a show, it would have been rated TV mature. They had, they had fights over sex. There was one dude who was like sleeping with his, uh, was it, was it, was it stepmom? I think it was stepmom, right? Lorenzo, is that true? 
You got, is there, so there's that. It's either stepmom or mother-in-law. Both are bad. I mean, you have, you have fights over like Paul's like talking trash to these people who are coming to worship on Sunday and then they're going to the temple prostitutes on Sunday night. You have Game of Thrones. Yeah, I guess I actually haven't watched Game of Thrones, but I, from what I hear, sure. You have, you, he has, he's talking fights over them suing each other. You have fights over what kind of meat it's appropriate to eat. You have fights over the rich people coming to the Lord's Supper and, and, and having two or three rounds of the Lord's Supper and getting pretty toasted on the Lord's Supper at the expense of the poor folks who, who didn't come early. This church is driving him bonkers. And so we get to 1 Corinthians 13, we're like, oh, love is patient, love is kind, it is not envious, it is not self-seeking. Kristen, can you read that after last week, please? But that's not why Paul wrote it. Why Paul wrote it was because he had a church that was picking favorites, that couldn't get issues of power, money, or sex right, probably had some issues of racism going on with Jew and Gentile, And he had this deep calling that just said, this is not what it's about. It's about love. So it's interesting this week, the lectionary gives us these texts. And I know I polled with Jeremiah a little bit, but that's my, I get to do that. We go through all those. So essentially, I want to ask this. I wonder if there's anyone in here today who is struggling. Maybe not just with a disappointing week because you made a bad fantasy baseball trade. Anybody here who just the the weight of COVID's getting to you? Anybody here who the loneliness of social isolation because of all that's gone on is getting to you? Anybody here who maybe at one time in life felt like you had a purpose, a plan, a vision of where you were supposed to go and what you were supposed to do and maybe it didn't go the way you thought? it would. Anybody here who had somebody who you deeply loved who has passed away in recent weeks, months, years? Anybody here who on Instagram and Facebook, it looks like life's going really well, but if you're honest, you're just limping through day by day. Anybody here who has some mental health issues and your brain's a bit foggy and you're just trying to get through. I find hope this morning in a lectionary cycle that allows us to deal with texts that remind us that the story we are called to give ourselves to is not just a story where we are meant to be some type of toxic positivity but is a story where we can be our honest, wholehearted self in the good moments and in the tough moments, in the hearty moments filled with laughter and the moments where we feel like we're just barely getting through. It's the beauty, I think, of the biblical text that offers us not just the good, the best, the, the beautiful, but also invites us to read the stories we wouldn't want to tell. Why on earth would we tell the David and Bathsheba story? But the scriptures tell those kind of stories because we are a people who are open and honest with the things of life that we would rather not tell everyone else. Are you with me this morning? And so if you find 
yourself in a season. Pastor Bonnie, I've been thinking about you a lot. I know uh, I haven't, we haven't spoken in a little bit, but, but I can't help but think this morning about you and where you find yourself. And others, Grandma, I've been thinking about you and where you and find yourself. If you find yourself this morning in a season that feels more heavy than not, where depression seems to be lingering in, where disappointment seems to be uh, the operating uh, place that you find, it's okay. And may you give yourself the gift that I think the Scriptures invite us to lean into that doesn't just race past that, but is willing to linger in the lament, feeling the weight of the heaviness of life, not rushing past, hoping to simply medicate to another feel-good moment. And may you and may I and may we in the weightiness of that moment, may we also both feel, but also find those next steps we can take that allow us to walk into the hope and to walk into the grace and to walk into the love which the divine would extend. even if that hope seems ever fleeting. I don't know who this is for today. I know some of you are probably here and life is going pretty swimmingly and, and this may feel like a downer. And, and if you are, I would just encourage you, there is somebody here and would you pray for those? But I don't know who this is for. But I know we've been through a couple of years that have been really, really tough. And so may we, may we find May we find the hope that with the, with the psalmist that writes the hymn, it is well. Having lost much. I think lost, Lorenzo, do you know the background of that hymn? That lost his wife and his child at sea, correct? Yeah. May we find the hope to be present to the grief, to be present to the pain, to be present to the suffering, to be present to the hopes dashed, and at the same time, even when we may not fully mean it from our heart, still sing the poem, It Is Well. Would you stand with me this morning as Lorenzo tells us what song to turn to as we sing this song together?